had a um, conversation. Craig, it must be, well, it's it literally is years ago now, isn't it? That was the last one that we did. I mean, it's the way time is just flying now, but the whole sustainability piece is just, well, it's motoring along, isn't it? I think, you know, people are coming out of the woodwork, things are happening, you know, there's so many new initiatives, you know, people are trying, I think there's a real f- sort of um, thirst, I would describe it as, for, for a lot of people to kind of really upskill and kind of learn what they don't know. And I think a lot of people, and the conversations I'm having is a lot of people don't know what they don't know. So they're kind of like, oh, I'm an open page here. Teach me, train me, you know, inform me, and in, in even entertain me with kind of what you've got to kind of offer, really. I mean, are you, are you seeing a similar thing? Do you think there is a, a groundswell really kind of happening now? Yeah, I, I would say we've probably reached um, a critical mass in some domains, which which enables everything that you're talking about, I suppose. So for years and years, it was really hard for people who understood what was happening to sort of keep the faith. Uh, But for me, I always just saw seeds being planted everywhere that needed to wait for the right conditions for them to to be watered and to kind of turn into action. So I never saw that any of the things that were happening, whilst they could feel disappointing, I never felt that they were sort of just gone or or useless. Uh, And now I think what we have is this sort of, we've got people waking up on a daily basis saying, oh, yeah, hang a minute. I need to know about this thing. And sometimes these are people who are fundamentally, you might say, how the hell do you not understand about this already? You know, decision makers. But but the world is is so frantic and it's easy in this world to sort of maintain your bubble. Um, So I think we get a lot of that. And so there's this sort of thin veil, you might say, beside all of us, that, that surprisingly despite it being just literally next door to us, we, we just don't really see what's going on in terms of understanding the drivers of sustainability, how fundamental it is, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so you've got people every day that sort of wake up and go, oh, I think there's something over there I need to look at. Um, and, and, and that's one set of momentum, I would say. Then we have, and my experience over the last 20 years of sustainability is that in the first sort of five years of my understanding, I needed to go through what I might say is waves, waves of acceptance, waves of understanding, waves of letting go of what I thought that I knew and sort of reculturalizing myself to a new agenda. And that is not an easy or a quick process. And I think what we're also seeing is people going through those waves at different levels, starting off with the, oh, I think I need to understand something to, oh, yes, I've done a course on climate change, so I, I'm sure I know everything, to, oh, actually, maybe maybe I don't. And maybe climate change is just a symptom of many other things. And, and so we see this. And I think what, where we are now is that we have a critical mass of people who are literally kind of the penny is dropping. And they're understanding, even not that they necessarily have gone through those deep waves of knowing, but they understand that they need to go on a much deeper journey than they thought that they did and then and then work out how the hell do I then bridge the gap between where we are as society and where I am as my business and where I am in my life technically you know where I'm locked into and what I now understand to be the agenda that I need to be part of so that's mm-hmm. what I think is happening I think it's exciting um but I do think that we uh we, we we've got a lot of work to do <laughs> 
Yeah, and I think it is that is that thing that you've kind of you know really eloquently um, positioned there is this thing about the scale of it, because I, I think for a lot of people, I think you know, there's this thin veil that you talk about, which I can totally recognise in myself. You know, I'll be you know completely honest here. I don't know everything about this, and I talk about this all day, every day. You know, I'm really into this stuff, and I don't know anything. You know, and every single day there's something that pops up, and I think oh, there's another thing, or oh, there's another organisational, there's a term I've not even heard, but everyone else seems to know about it it's the scale of the beast isn't it really that just I think for a lot of people it has been to this point really quite daunting I think there are ways through it now because you know there are organizations and there are people you can follow and you know things just to slowly and gradually kind of ease yourself into this but I was having a conversation earlier this week with uh, Phil Corbell from the um, Carbon Literacy Project and uh, one of the things that he was talking about which is really quite interesting was the fact that every Everybody's been beating themselves up about process and it's not about process at all it's actually about people and he was saying it was a really interesting sort of starting point um, as far as he was concerned because he said everybody thinks oh I've got to do recycling or oh I've got to be good to the planet or all this and he said no 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 this is the wrong starting point the correct starting point is just understanding who and where you are in the context of this bigger picture and he said, and it's okay not to do very much to start with, as long as you're kind of conscious, and I'm paraphrasing him, but as long as you're conscious and aware of there's a thing going on here, right, okay, let's just take that first step. Let's just become a little bit more literate, and because he talks about carbon literacy, but it's just literate in this whole kind of conversation and debate. And for him, that was more than as a first step. I think a lot of people have put off by the sheer magnitude of this thing and all the terminology and it's a complicated thing isn't it do you think do you think people are kind of now sort of seeing much more the part that they can play and almost looking at their own little either footprint or you know just their own little circle of influence and thinking do you know actually if I just started small in my own little sphere of influence I could actually make a difference and, and that in the early days might just be enough do you, do you think that's a, a fair kind of position to begin with because I think a lot of people are still at that starting gate aren't they um so yeah a couple of things I would say there I I, I absolutely think it's can only ever be uh, about your sphere of influence and harnessing that and then building it and of course Stephen Covey with his seven habits of highly effective people did a brilliant job of setting out exactly what that is and, and how to work with it so I think yes but but just rooting back one step I think you're absolutely right about the scale, but the scale isn't really about the amount of noise and the amount of terms and the amount of stuff going on. I think there's a way to sort of address that and understand that there is, a, the scale is massive, but it's not massive in that way. And that that in a way that, that there's a lot of noise and I think in order to be able to harness your sphere of influence, to garner your energy and to put it into the right direction, I think it's really helpful to be able to go to a starting point that is deeper than the noise. And that's what I was referring to when I was talking about stages of knowing. So there's knowing what events are going on, you know, so taking sort of Donella Meadows iceberg model, you know, events, patterns of behavior, and then fundamental worldviews that sit under all of it um, and shape everything. So if we imagine that what's going on in terms of the scale of noise, as you were outlining, 
then yes, there's, there's, there's loads of going on. And if you focus your attention there, it's going to be very overwhelming. You're never going to keep up. It's going to be like one confusing mess. And you could spend three PhD worths of lifetime and still not ever be on top of it because it's changed before you even know it. So I would say my message to everybody would be to get to deeper waves of knowing. And at the bottom of that waves of knowing is focusing on worldviews. And by worldviews, which sit at the heart of culture and identity and everything is our fundamental assumptions about what is valuable in the world, about how the world works to protect or destroy that value. And as a result of those, the foundation of any action that we might take in the world. So as part of that, there's knowing ourselves, knowing why we think, or at least being able to start by asking the questions, why do I think that, you know, where does that come from? Is that what I truly believe? Or is that just because I've been plonked on planet earth at this particular period of time? So the deeper we can go on that, and that is a deep philosophical existential journey, but it's the one we as all human beings across the world are being asked to do, especially if you're in positions of decision-making. So there's that journey, but there's also the fundamental journey about how the world works which is a scientific journey and a sociological and cultural journey as much as anything else, to be able to say, what's really going on here? What are the fundamental social and environmental systems that we as, 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 as living beings on planet Earth rely on? How are they under threat? How have they been degraded? What stage are we at? What is the bare minimum that I need to do to at least not be making that worse? And then what can I do to make things better? And ultimately that should arrive and crystallize in a purpose, which is at an individual level, team level, project level, company level, country level, whatever, that says, what is my reason to exist that is an optimal strategic contribution to long-term well-being for everyone? Those three elements being the foundation of sustainability, Brunton definition of sustainability reworded, and the closest we can get to a meta purpose or a way of describing what an economy should be for. So I think if you can get to that deep place, then the rest of the noise can kind of, you can flow with it. You can order it. Oh, I get what they're saying that that falls over there. You know, ah, this is part of that conversation. Oh, this is a new way of describing fundamentally that versus, oh, this is actually something really new. You know, so I think if we're going to get on with the strategy of delivering it and work out our role in that and organize all the mess, we have to have this bigger frame. And that's why the thing that I've been focusing on most, because I've had the luxury of uh, 20, actually more than, but very professionally 20 years of trying to work on clarifying this so that we do have that solid base to work on. I would say that the modified daily triangle that I lean on a lot that's in the new um British Standard in Purpose Driven Organizations that was part of this, uh, the report on unleashing sus the sustainable business, you know, that that is a sort of the best thinkers in the world arrived at that. We've just adapted it to say, look, you know, actually it is complex, but fundamentally it's the here's a frame we can lean on.
I love how, and I was kind of almost timing how quickly or how slowly actually we would get to the word purpose because our conversations always, 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 always rapidly move in, in the direction of purpose. You know, the, the kind of that deeper reason or that deeper meaning that you always talk about. And, and I just love the way that always happens, no matter what angle we start from, whatever conversation we ever have, it always ends up very quickly in the word purpose. And I think it's just because it's a truth isn't it? I think this is the thing is no matter which way you approach this stuff, no matter what questions you ask to kind of, you know, have these kinds of conversations, ultimately, because it's a truth, you always end up, not you personally, but we always end up in this kind of, yeah, but actually it is all about that deeper kind of value creation. It is that deeper kind of meaning of everything, really. Um, and so it has to be a truth because no matter which way we tend to look at this in our conversations, we always end up here. So it's just it's something really inherent in this that it is about the kind of the kindness and the kind of awareness that goes into kind of being, as you say, actually being a human on this planet. And I think for me, that's just always this lovely kind of centering position, which just brings it, as you say, no, no matter what noise is happening, that centering position of like, I know who I am and I know what I need to do and I know who I need to be and actually then the rest of it around here might be useful stuff to give me a context in which to kind of communicate with the rest of the world but if I'm really true to that value that I'm providing or value I'm giving as a human being it's all okay and it's all gonna be okay I think for a lot of people though they're still kind of searching for that aren't they? I think there's, there's quite a few people when I talk to them about things like, you know, the Ikigai, um, that kind of, you know, living centrally in, in you know, a lovely mindful position every day and all this kind of stuff. And people say, oh, what, really? Well, how do you do that? And they kind of sort of get lost in the, the noise of everyday living. So, so is it, do you think then really a, just a, I guess, an opportunity for people to really sort of self-identify and say, look, hold on a minute, I'm just going to pause for breath here. I'm just going to have maybe a day or even if it's like a half day to just really think my way through this and to really kind of check in with myself and, and not get swept along by the latest conspiracy theory or the latest, you know, piece of research that comes out, but actually really go kind of into themselves and actually think, what can I do? You know, who can I be to really start to provide this value? And if I can do it from a sense of kind of real sort of centered self, then that's really where the value is going to come here, isn't it? Because the collective then of everybody doing it that way, well, what's not to like? I mean, that would be the ultimate, really, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, I suppose that's what I was trying to express before when I was talking about going back to worldviews, you know, and, and getting to the very depth of things, because essentially the worldviews underpinned and encompass values and values and purpose are, are, are bedfellows because you can't understand what your purpose is unless you understand your values and your other assumptions about how the world works and purpose I see is the it's it's the action phase it's it's the as a result of understanding what I truly value of having some clear assumptions about how the world works and how that value that I value so much, those things I value so much, my values are under threat or need addressing results in a, what therefore is the contribution that I can make to protect or enhance those things that I think are most valuable given what I assume about how the world works. So that is really the very starting point. And it is about 
assumptions, value, and purpose as a sort of uh, interconnected whole. And if people can get back to that place, but like you say, that's not that's not easy to do because it is deep, because it is meta-reflective, because it is a journey of, and if we take, for example, as many people know, sort of theory you, Otto Sharma's theory you, and it's it's really part of that same process that, like you say, pausing, shedding, questioning, removing, and then adding back in. And, and actually what's interesting is we all go through that phase. Sometimes it gets disrupted or it happens too quickly or it, it's not done in a way that we notice is happening much. But when we're about 11, 12, 13, and we go through our stage of identity forming, essentially that's the point at which we do go through that process, like I say, more or less consciously and more or less disrupted or not disrupted. Um, so we do it, we're able to do that. And we are also able to do that at different junctures. And I think when people think about things like midlife crisis or other, these are moments where we can say, actually, let's just take a pause. Let's just really think, you know, what is it I'm trying to do here? What are my efforts for? Um, and, and go back to that place. So I think before you can get to purpose, which is a strategic um, contribution that comes from knowing what you value, what the context is, and yourself. Before you can get there, you've got to know those things. <laughs> you know, what do I think about the world? What, what do I value? Um, and what are my capacities and skills to do something about it? And then you can start to strategize. So I'd see purpose as the ultimate framing strategy um, against humanity's meta-purpose of, of long-term well-being for all, which is also the definition of sustainability. Um, and then beneath that comes layers of strategy and as we move down that sort of strategic scoping this is where we need to become more flexible and malleable and keep our questions open because we don't know I mean the reality is we just don't know the science we, we don't know the sciences is, is emerging daily the solutions emerging daily you know we have to be really light of foot and interconnected with everything going on in order to be able to move our energy where it needs to go. But what purpose does is provide that energizing, clear, authentic, and meaningful foundation that orientates us within that chaos. Oh, there's, I, I'm always on the lookout for, and I've noticed it, yes, it's, that's the time. I was on the lookout for the short form video clip moment. And I, I think that was it when there's this beautifully succinct definition that is like right there's the leader for this particular conversation i think you just said it there victoria so i thank you for that that was beautifully done you've done this before haven't you i can tell <laughs> well never in exactly the same way actually and it's interesting because um it's a it's such i mean you can see why it's it's a topic that like you say we always come back to that isn't it's not just definitely not a trend it's definitely not something that's going to go away soon because the fundamental to me purpose is the is the answer we're trying to articulate of the emerging future to the problem that we're just about starting to grasp so it's not going away anyone who thinks i mean i i was asked this yesterday actually you know do i think this is we're going to kind of regress back and and uh, i no because i don't know because the pressures the pressures, again, the pressures that make where we have been, where business as usual, so painful are only going to get worse and worse because business as usual is so fundamentally at the heart of the issues we face. So there's a 
critical tension that will never be overcome by going backwards. So we can go backwards and then we'll feel that the pain is worse and then we'll have to move forward. And we can either oscillate between pain and slight relief with sticking plasters, or we can spend some time to go a bit deeper and fundamentally solve this because I just can't see any other way we're going to progress. So, mm. yes, I do talk about this a lot and it's never quite in the same way. But <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I just want to pick up on one word that you said a, a few moments ago, which was the word capacity. Because I think probably a lot of people listening to this will say, yeah, oh, gosh, I mean, Victoria, you know, she speaks in you know, a complete sense. I totally get it. I know I've got work to do, but, oh, and then this kind of little voice in the ear starts talking, oh, yeah, but you're busy, you're, you're hectic, you know, you've got to do those tasks, you know, got all that other work that you need to do, and you've got customers, you've got to deliver, you're in business, you've got to do this. And it's almost like you get this feeling I think a lot of people are getting this feeling that it'll be okay when I've got time to do it and I know I'm, I'm finding myself asking this question to a lot of people a lot of the time so I'd be really interested on your take if the perception in a an organization and this could come from senior management all the way through the organization um, or it could be the leadership team or whoever if the perception is okay we'll do it when the time is right based on our perceived capacity I think you and I know that is never going to happen. So how do people kind of talk, almost talk themselves into it? How we have to start taking action right now, because as, as you're correctly, I'm sure, describing there is that, you know, there is no business as usual as we, we used to know it. This is a, a world of constant change now. So within the perceived capacity that you have as an organization, you have to be factoring in the time to do this stuff. Because for a lot of organizations, it isn't part of the business as usual. It is a it's a new add-on thing that they're kind of like, I guess a lot of them feeling pressured to do. It's like all oh, the customers tell us we have to do it. The other stakeholders say, our suppliers are saying, we're going to deal with you or supply you if you do it this way. So I think a lot of people are almost in a defensive position and I'm hearing a lot of them say yeah but we haven't really got the time and I'll, I'll rephrase that as capacity right now to do it I mean I know this is a bit of a rhetorical question because I don't want to put you on the spot and say can you give us all the answer for that because it's almost I think for them feeling like it's a near impossible answer that should come out mm -hmm. but I mean did you have any take on that in terms of this kind of perceived capacity thing because I think for lots of people it is a big big thing mm. a absolutely I mean that's to be honest an issue time immemorial you know for everyone you know it's always hard to spend the time thinking about the things that you know are important and we routinely avoid those things even we, though we know that the pain associated with not doing it is going to bite us in the bum just like next week next year just take I don't know paying a, a bill or dealing with a tricky thing or doing a tax return or whatever it is. You know, we have a great capacity to cause ourselves, even on a personal level, huge amounts of pain by not spending time doing the things, investing the time now. Um, so I think that we have to just recognize that's a human condition, firstly. Um, and then we have to remind ourselves that if we take successful businesses, what we understand, no business is successful if they don't spend the time <laughs> to think about the big things. I mean, that is just, you know, uh, it, it's just not possible to do that. So in the past, the consequence of that might have been that your business would, you know, 
not make as much money as before, lose some stakeholders, have a bad reputation or ultimately go broke. But the consequence of not doing it now is that humanity and life on Earth doesn't have a viable place to operate. Or if it does, it is so awful, it, we'd rather not be here. You know, that's that's what we have on the plate. And so I think we need to do a couple of things. We firstly need to, at the first juncture, recognize that there'll never be enough time to do everything. We could just keep running. We could always do more. Everyone's list is always longer, you know. So you've got to at some point draw a line and practicing drawing a line, whatever that is. I don't work at weekends. I don't work in evenings. I only do this. I wake up in the morning, I spend half an hour thinking about big things. Whatever it is, just practicing being strict with yourself and your routine, I think is a micro thing that could be done. Uh, and if everyone does that, and if you are a decision-making maker in an organization and you not just authorize, but actually govern for that, then you are putting your organization in a much better place. So the strategic leaders need to understand that this, this is something that needs to happen and they need to enable it. Otherwise, basically their business is going under and that and, and the rest of the shit with it, um, ultimately. So uh, I would say connected with that, we get really quickly onto the next big topic of mine, um, which is governance, because that's a governance issue. And so there is governing yourself, governing your teams, governing your projects, governing your system, governing your organization. And depending on your level of involvement with governance, depends on your ability as a decision maker to set the frame for others to do their stuff and do their management. So I think reflecting on that as part of a very specific sphere of influence and tools, therefore, that you have is critical. And then connected with that is saying, Okay, so if I know I can sometimes be my own worst enemy, then I probably need to spend more time enabling the governance systems that will actually keep me on track. And that could be about saying, right, uh, as a team, we're going to, you know, enforce a process that does X like half an hour in the morning. It could be as a board saying, we will bring the long-term into our decision-making and we will do it in this way and we will encode it in policy and we will encode it in the way that we review and understand strategy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So all whole range of things and 37,000, uh, the first global standard on good governance will give a, a sense of all those uh, areas of governance that can be used for that. But beyond that, it's also then saying, well, that I, I'm only one organization. It, I've also got to use my sphere of influence in the broader system to enable the governance of governance, you know, the governance of my system. So if I realize that my capacity to act is constrained, I need to enable the systems of governance that are broader than me, but which shape what I am able to do or not, so that I can then make space to think about the long term and do it properly. So that would be my answer. I'd say start small, but think about the multiple levels and focus in on the governance because when you know that you're not going to make the right decision every single day, what you need is good governance to force you to. And it is those good habits, isn't it, that you're describing there at a personal level as well as an organisational level and kind of believing in it. And of course, if you're then driven and fueled by that, that purpose discussion that we've had earlier, 
yeah, the things, it almost feels like then the stars align. Everything then is kind of shaped up to, to enable the, I, I guess, the, yeah, the, the, the system, if you like. And I know you talk a lot about systemizing stuff and things being, you know, sort of in, in frameworks and very kind of measurable, I guess, ultimately, because, you know, people want to see evidence as well if they're going to invest in this. They want to see evidence of change and of improvement. So, with that in mind, I know you've been doing a lot of work um, on obviously a lot of the standards and a lot of the kind of you know, the thinking around these kind of frameworks. You have something a little bit special, I believe, coming soon in the autumn that um, I was going to ask you about the uh, the upcoming course. Is, is that is something you could um, share with us and uh, give us a little bit more information about? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, when you were... Um... Uh, introducing that I thought you were going to be talking about something else there are actually two things coming up so maybe uh, I could do them in chronological order so the first exciting yes, thing please. that's coming up is um, is the first national standard on purpose-driven organizations so having gone through a period of fragmentation and every sort of building ideas we have reached an inflection point that enabled the British Standards Institute um, to help bring together key actors in this space uh, across the board. So that includes government department, um, organizations like Regenerate that work with, with, with government business in the community, CISL, who I do a lot of work with, but also business in terms of Anglian Water, John Lewis, and consultants like KPMG, um, as well as the, the leading sort of framework thinkers, B Corp, Fit, fit for the future um, and blueprint for better business. So all coming together. And I was the technical author as part of this process to say, do we have enough uh, maturity of understanding of this issue to be able to write a very detailed accountability frame and guidance frame? So it serves as both a guide and a frame for accountability that can help drive and unite the action. So that was the question. And actually, it was much, much easier than I thought, which suggests that actually we do have that consensus. So that standard, which will be free for everyone, uh, will be coming out in, we'll be launching that in July. And its full title, um, although uh, I think uh, its full title is actually even uh, broader than this, is Purpose Driven Organizations, Worldviews, Principles and Behaviors, uh, a, a guide for um, advancing sustainability is, is, is in there as well. Um, so essentially, it's a guidance standard. And beyond being a principles-based guidance standard, it starts with worldviews, which we talked about before. So saying not all purpose-driven organizations will have all of these worldviews, but if you're a purpose-driven organization, you are likely to understand the world in this way, and you are likely to value these things in this way. And that, I think, is a real innovation and something that was absolutely necessary if we were going to be talking about something as uh, deep and profound as purpose. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing, and this is the course you're, you're talking about, is uh, I, I do about 60% of my work with CISL. So that's the full title, Prince of Wales, University of Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership. Uh, and I, I'm involved in a range of things as part of that. But one of those that I've been working on within the last year to 18 months is the sort of um, sleeves rolled up co-creation 
of uh, a course called Sustainable Marketing, Media and Creative. So CISL, as well as doing um, postgraduate certificates, master's programs and executive education within their education realm, um, also increasingly have these eight week online courses that are, that are all always all designed for professionals, but these are fully online, they're eight weeks, they're very accessible, there's no restriction on numbers. So it means that um, you can have a really rich experience, meet with other cohorts, uh, cohort members across the world. Uh, and this one is particularly on, on marketing, media and creative and the role that marketing as a whole can have in this agenda. So that will be, wow. first cohort is in September and we'll be starting uh, the, the sort of launch material for that very soon wow and th this is the kind of stuff i think you know i've almost been waiting like I just know, four or five years i guess to to kind of sort of see and hear that this kind of thing is now physically available because i think a lot of people have been waiting i, I don't know almost waiting for guidance or waiting to have their hand held and now we've got standards we've got frameworks we've got courses we've got the time is now, isn't it? You you must feel very hopeful now that there will be this huge kind of wave almost following in your footsteps, really, in terms of, you know, the work that you've done. Because I know you've you know had great success, you know, with, with lots of the, the larger brands and lots of, uh, you know, larger organisations. But this feels now like it's very accessible to everybody, really, and that there's something everybody can play. It's almost like you're kind of leading this great big army of, you know, sort of advocates behind you. Is it, I mean, do, does it feel like that? Because from my perspective, that's how it looks. Uh, no, I, I would definitely not put it like that. What I would say is that I have had the luxury of being across multiple worlds with a central question, problem-solving question in mind. And because I've kept myself across these multiple worlds, I can see that everyone is essentially saying the same thing, is asking for the same thing, is perceiving the same problem, even if they can't call it that. And so all I see myself as is some kind of spokes vessel for, for sort of holding that mirror up and doing it in a way that is inclusive enough, is... Um, is as clear enough that people can go, yes, I haven't used that term, but actually that is what I mean. Or I haven't spent time actually going deep, deeper, but now you say it. Actually, I think that is kind of what I meant. And I'll be like, oh, great. Yeah, because those over there are also saying that. And those over there are saying the same thing. And actually, Herman Daly said it like ages ago. And then Donella Meadows, they did loads of thinking. And they essentially said the same thing as well. So maybe if we just agree on, on this structure, which we really were all saying anyway, then, then let's move forward. I mean, just take Brundtland Report, you know, long-term well-being for everyone, however you want to call it, those three dimensions. That's been staring us in the face, but yet we've like gone round in circles, focusing on this pillar and this thing and these SDGs. And whilst that's all great strategy, we've lost our eye on the ball, which is what, you know, the ultimate accountability frame, uh, which, which is staring us in the face. So I'm not, I haven't come up with that. I'm just telling people what's, or reminding people of what's already there. So that's what I firstly would say. So all I'm doing is helping unite the energy that is in the system. And I have a very, I feel very privileged to have had a unique position. So for me, that is the service, that's the bit that I, the role that I can play. And whilst the world asks me to do that, I will do that. And once I should be doing something else, I'll be doing something else. But I am very hopeful because because it took a while for me to sort of have the 
the confidence, I suppose, is might be the right word. It's I've I spent a long time thinking and studying, doing PhD, but also staying within the real world, uh, because that's ultimately where it all matters, and is the whole and where the information for academia comes from. Um, because I didn't want to make the world a worse place. I was a consultant before for Accenture and I was pretty damn clear, even though I had no actual measurement for it, and this is an important point, um, that I was probably making the world a worse place every mo morning that I woke up. But yet I went into business to try to make it the world a better place. So then I'm like, well, I might as well just stay in bed, you know, or, or and then when I understood the kind of this domain of, of sustainability that I've been doing a lot of thinking about these issues and solutions, I then realized that I had to really understand this. Now, we can't have a world of people that spend their lives doing PhDs to try to work out what all this is about. We need to get on and deliver it. So, um, so that's where that, that framing becomes so very important. Um, and I would say that we are now on the cusp, having observed it for 20 years, I think we are now at an inflection point, the fact that we have those two things, and you're right, they went from blank sheet to consensus. ISO 37,000 took five years to build. 77 countries and 25 liaisons were involved, and I had the privilege to be sort of facilitating that consensus building with my colleague Axel Kravatsky from Trinidad and Tobago. Just observing even how how the uniting of energy within those five years, where at the beginning it was like, yeah, but isn't business just about making money and it, aren't shareholders the most important thing? Just, you know, and I, my role was not to say, oh, this is what I think, but my role was to sort of say, yeah, but you're saying this, but isn't that the same as this? And what do we really mean here? In those five years, the world, the world came to a different conclusion. And 37,000, it's easy to pick up these reports and go, oh, that's just another report on that. It, it isn't. It reflects the emerging future in a way that I, we have not had before. So with that, and this um, PAS in this uh, British Standard in Purpose Driven Organizations, PAS 808, uh, as well as organizations like CISL saying, yeah, you know what? Marketing is not... We might think of it as advertising and sales, but maybe we're only thinking about it like that because business as usual has forced it to become that. And actually, no organization can de deliver anything of value unless its value creation nerve center, i.e. marketing, is aligned in that direction of the value you want to create. Now, these are sort of steps in maturity, and, and, I, and I see it happening everywhere. So I am very encouraged, not just because I'm an optimist. I am a, I'm a pragmatic optimist, one might say, but I do see things changing Mm. Where, where where do you see us all then in say I mean you often sort of talk in kind of five-year blocks and um, I've heard you sort of describe it in that way before I think maybe the five-year sort of time frame is something that's inherent to Dr Victoria Hearth you know it just it seems to work in that kind of time scale you know I'm just really project forward yeah yeah you, you do you do you do it's interesting yeah so I'm thinking hmm, there's something in this so project forward five years where where do you think we'll be what what do you think will have happened I know having the crystal ball is is a little bit uh, you know hopeful to kind of think that you'll be accurate but we won't hold you to it but what is your kind of dream or vision for say five years out Okay, so I think my dream and what I think might happen are not necessarily the same things. Um, but um, and, and one thing I would say, looping back to the very first points we made, is that the more that one tunes in to those fundamental drivers, and to be honest, 
you just need to read the World Economic Forum uh, Global Risk Report and then go one level deeper than that. And, and, and you're in that, that domain. And then you can be a, a prophet and a, and a visionary because actually you're tapped into what is shaping the stuff that's going on. But of course, things never pan out in a, um, it, it, you know, working out how it's going to pan out. That bit's not easy. Working out the momentum of travel, that's that's easier. So I would say my guess, I mean, the momentum, I unfortunately, is one way because the uh, the issues that we have put into play are on big time scales. You know, the climate, you, know, you put carbon in the atmosphere, it shows up in the system and what we feel sort of 20 years later. We're talking about big scales, that's just climate. But even on a social front, we know even in organizations, when we start say eroding culture, you don't feel it overnight. When we start creating stress in the organization, people can cope for a while. So we're like in that scale, uh, you know, as a world as a whole. So that's gonna continue to unfold. How and where and interactions within these, because we're talking about all social environmental systems having their own pressures and then interacting each other. That is hard to predict. So we need to be prepared for anything and we need to be prepared for tipping points. And so I don't know, but I know that we are right at the very edge of the safe zones on a lot of this. Um, and even w the World Economic Forum, for example, it, it's, it's assessing that in a, in a bucket it called um, human change to the environment is a sort of like eighth biggest risk. I mean, God, there's so much within that bucket and that is massively critical, but let, let's just forget that. What I would say is I think what would, what's happening is the world is starting to better express the nature of the problem, the nature of the solution. The nature of the problem is that we've myopically focused our value generation nerve centers, i.e. businesses and all organizations, myopically on maximizing profits because there is a series of flawed assumptions that somehow that will enable an economy that ultimately de delivers the most well-being for society as a whole. And we are now realizing, A, that that is the line we've gobbled up, and B, that actually it's not doing the job that we assumed that it would do, and to a massive degree. So this is where purpose comes in because it gets to the crux of that and it reorientates that system so businesses are pointed to the end goal and not at finance and then a series of assumptions about how the, the economy works. Um, I think that those who have vested interests in a profit maximizing model have struggled with this emerging reality for the same reason everyone else has because it hasn't been that clear what it is. It hasn't been quite clear what sort of threat it has it is a lot of purpose washing is just basically business as usual seeming that it's gone on this journey when it hasn't and i think that has placated the concerns of more narrow-minded people that can't see this bigger picture and think that their job is to protect this profit maximizing system i think that at the clearer we get about what we mean by purpose and the nature of the issue the more organized that people who are trying to even just instinctively protect this system that they've known and loved. And okay, let's just even ignore people who, who you know, sort of, you know, this is not some kind of like big evil person, oh, ha ha ha, I can gobble up all the world's resources. Yeah, I'm sure there are people out there that, that are like that, like Cock Brothers and others. But for a lot of people, this is just but this is what I think is the right way for business to act. And that's because, the, the you know, an economy is purpose driven. And we have a series of assumptions 
that has said, this is how you act purposefully within that economy. You focus on money, ignore everything else. No, literally, you're not even allowed to focus on anything else. Just focus on this. So for people for whom that is all they've known and their ideology, their friendship groups, their culture, their politics are all aligned with that. The more that we get clear about why that is the issue, the more, especially depending if that message feels confrontational, the more we will get defense mechanisms come in play. And the clearer we are about the solution and how this is oppositional to that, the more that that will come in hard and fast. So I think in the next five years, that's what's going to happen because of the big systems and because purpose is ultimately the answer to the problem and the problem isn't going away anyway soon. That's not going to change. But I think we will get a period of time where people go, well, yeah, we were using the P word, but now we're not sure even if we really understood it because it's much deeper than we thought that it was. And actually all my friends, um, I kind of think about the world in this very sort of, you know, uh, neoclassical economic way. And, I, and, and I'm more comfortable over there. And their argu arguments are stronger and clearer. So we'll get some wavering. But, but ultimately, I think, and this is why, I, and the, the role I'm playing, I think, is, is important. Because the more that we can help everyone to have the confidence, going back to that word again, that confidence to be able to say, actually, it's not just that I'm reeling off someone else's argument. I fundamentally understand the, the mechanisms that make business as usual a source of unsustainability. And I can explain it in my own words. And I can explain why my business needs to look different. And I can explain why I'm going on that journey. If we can build that level of understanding and that confidence only comes from going deeper and getting what's going on. And that's where I would say, the, the report I did for CISL, Unleashing the Sustainable Business, I did that, wrote with Aris Fretos from CISL. There are part one and part two, and there are two more coming out on governance and culture. Those really set out everything that I'm saying in more detailed terms to give people that sort of, of course, they don't have to agree with it. They'll probably have other arguments, whatever. But it sets out why I think that anyway and why I feel I have the confidence after all those years of saying, I just don't want to make the world worse to now going, actually, you know what? I'm just seeing the same thing being said over again. I'm going to go further. I'm going to stick my neck out further. And that's really what I've done over the last 10 years. And, and that's what I think in the next five years we will see happening. But it's not going to be painless. And the more that people can see that journey, they can see why people are going to flounder how they're going to flounder and what defense mechanisms are at play the more we can help people i suppose to move beyond those that that feeling of insecurity and that feeling of of uncertain identity uncertainty to a better place mm, it's a lovely practicality and, and realism about this and this is why everybody i really really love the work that victoria does because there's a there's a sensibility about it. It is not just academia for academia's sake. This is there's a real kind of, yeah, human and commercial reality to the work that she does. And uh, you know, I'll put all the links to the various things that we've been talking about in the uh, the description below because I think it's really really important that we kind of check in with this kind of thing um, on a quite regular basis. And that's why Victoria, I really always value our conversations because it's a real nice kind of sort of. Um, 
I don't know, it's a, it's a little milestone for me every time we talk, because I think, okay, how have I progressed since our last conversation? So, oh, uh, yes, you're becoming a bit of a mentor for me, I think, here, um, sort of unbeknown to you. It's just a lovely thing for me to just sort of think, okay, how am I doing? Okay, well, there's my there's my next kind of uh, few months worth of dose of uh, Victoria, so it's really good. You know, Neil, you know, we, we all need this, and I say this to, to everyone that, you know, I... I I can never have, I, I teach on a lot of CISL programs, for example, and I see the same presentations over and over again. And because the real, real world and the, and the abstracted bubble of a world that we've kind of, you know, constructed for ourselves are, are still very, very much at odds. For us to sustain ourselves within this bubble of a world and, and help to lead the transformation, we have to keep going back and we have to keep being reminded of those things even if it was like last week, because the bubble of the world is more powerful in our daily interactions. So unless we tap into that, unless we literally hear the same things over and over again, it's very easy to lose that. And that's something I learned at Accenture, you know, that humility that if you're a human being and you are humble and you are tapped in and you are trying to, to, to not be abstracted from reality, you know, you are going to be affected by reality and it will change you. So checking in constantly is, is such an important thing. So I also very much value our conversations and your questions are so insightful and tell me a lot about the journey you're on. So uh, yeah, all the very best with that. Yeah. No, that's brilliant. Thank you so much again. And I know you've got to dash off to uh, another panel discussion. You're changing the world step by step, uh, <laughs> sort of at every moment. I think, you know, you and Zoom are clearly very good friends, I would imagine. So, uh, yes, yeah, changing the world literally uh, by the day. So, um, everybody, this has been uh, Dr. Victoria Hirth uh, guiding her um, us with her wisdom um, as ever. And hopefully, Victoria, if we can catch up again on the other side of the standards and the course launch, and uh, it would be great to catch up again then just to kind of see how things are going and some of the reactions that you're seeing and yes get a another dose of uh, of practical reality in this whole purpose-driven value enabled sustainable world that we're all aiming for so uh, yeah that'd Absolutely. be great yeah my Brilliant. pleasure